Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. This episode is part of our series Shepherd King, exploring the life of David. Together we'll be following the story of someone known as a man after God's own heart, through his highs and his lows, from field to wilderness to palace. As we do, we'll discover how, in both his successes and his failures, David points us to Jesus, the true king come to change everything for everyone. Thanks for joining us. 1 Samuel 16, 1-13 Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough. For Saul, I have rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong? they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemir. But Samuel said, Neither is this one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord hasn't chosen any one of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So, as David stood there amongst his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Good morning, everyone. Good morning downstairs. So if you can do better upstairs. Good morning upstairs. Hey, silent waves like that. Good morning online. Very good to have you here. Um, there's a danger at this moment that we um, disconnect where we were before the Bible was read over us and some notices before that were given and this moment. 
And I don't want us to disconnect that because God's already been speaking to us, has been opening us to the wonder of who he is and the life that he longs for us to live in. And I'm hoping that we're going to see that the dots will connect as we get to look at this amazing part of the story of David, where we're introduced into David, that Muri's just read over us, as I really believe that God is wanting to meet with you and with me. I believe that God is interested in the fact that we're here now in this moment. I don't think it's by mistake. I think that God uh, has brought you here because he's wanting to cause you to understand more of the life that he's got for you and he's got for me. And I just want to pray for us, actually, before I kind of jump into what I prepared, because I just feel like there's just a sacredness sometimes of just God coming and just saying, yep, God, I just open my heart to you. Would you come and meet me in the complexities that are there, the concerns, my fears, my hopes, everything? So just where you are, just just close your eyes. I'm just going to pray for us. Maybe you feel comfortable, put your hands out, just saying, God, I open myself to you. Father, Son, Spirit, I thank you that you are here now with us. I thank you you've been waiting, anticipating, meeting with us. I thank you that you've been longing to cause us to just know that you are with us, that you know us and that you have everything we need in this moment. And God, I thank you that you know exactly where we're at at the moment. It's not a surprise to you. And I thank you that you're longing to meet us in this place. I say, God, we just say we open our hearts to you. We open our our lives to you. And just say, come, have your way. You who promised to do us good. Amen. Amen. Right, before we jump into 1 Samuel 16, I want to just... I guess get us to consider for a moment, like how do we judge or evaluate other people or probably ourselves sometime, if we're honest? Like how do we seek to do that? Now, the reality is if you've grown up within this society, you'll know that there's ways in which we've kind of been pre-programmed to evaluate or to judge others. It may be in respect to looks, uh, strength, charisma, Wealth, can't quite boom me loud, status, achievement, popularity. And we can kind of see those things and think, yep, those are the things that kind of cause us to evaluate or to judge others or ourselves. And maybe in that, that you kind of think, well, yeah, what that causes me to live with, if I'm honest... Like, I know I can do that sometimes. It's just that it causes me to live with a sense of, like, either feeling like I'm comparing myself always with others or that I'm competing with others or that maybe it's not that I'm competing or comparing. It's rather that I can either be quick to discount others or maybe more in reality is that I can find that I discount myself. And... What I want us to see is that God looks at things very differently. We see in the story where, if you like, it kind of zooms in in verse 7, where it says this, The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by appearance or height, 
for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at our heart, the core of our being, our inner world, if you like. Because God understands that ultimately what's going on within is what shapes everything outside of us. You see, when you read the Gospels, the accounts of who Jesus is and what Jesus did is that whenever he was speaking to people, he was always talking about like what's going on in your very inner being, in your heart, in the core of yourself. Because that's the stuff, that's the place that kind of shapes everything else that you do and say. You see, our hearts, like the core of who we are, really matter to God. He's interested in who we are at the core of our beings. And he longs to meet us in that place in order that he can shape us more into who he's created us to be. See, through 1 Samuel 16, we're going to be introduced into two characters, Saul and David, And it reveals in these two characters, two inner worlds, two hearts. Now, there's a danger that as soon as you look at two people, you can think, okay, what I've got to do here is kind of figure out, like, um, how am I going to live then? Uh, And I've got to work hard here, so there's probably going to be a bad one and a good one. That's what's going to happen here. And so what I've got to try and do is work hard to not be like the bad one, but look to be like the good one. Because that's what it's about, isn't it? Me working hard to make sure my heart is good because that's where I'm going to be judged. Like if that's what you get by the end of this, I've done an appalling job. And please come up to me at the end and say, you did an appalling job this morning. I give you permission. Um, I want us to have a lens in which we view what goes on in 1 Samuel 16. Because there is this danger that we think the weight is down to me, down to you, in how we kind of try to learn a lesson in order that we can seek to shape and change ourselves. But I rather want us to see that this story needs to be seen with a lens of the wonder of how God is longing to work in your heart and my heart in order that we can live in the good of the life that he has for us. And the lens I want us to look at is the wonder of who God reveals himself to be. Who we're discovering, and we're going to discover week on week, that God reveals himself to be through a king. A king that we've said is a King David, that is this shepherd king, who ultimately isn't what it's all about. It's one that is pointing to the true and ultimate shepherd king, who is God himself who's longing to shape your life and my life. And what I just want to do then is like look and see who the shepherd king is because when we see how Jesus describes himself, I think it allows us to see a lens in which to then look at this passage in order that we start to see that yet the heart does matter to God and God is longing to meet us in our hearts, in the core of our being. And so therefore, the lens I want us to look at this passage on is a different passage, which is John 10, verses 10, 14, and 15, where Jesus says this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. 
You see, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Jesus proclaims, I am forever the good shepherd. My longing is to do all that come to know me good. And I want to do you good by seeking to meet you in the core of who you are and to seek to shape and tend your heart. Because that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd seeks to be one who is tending his sheep. And in the same way as tending the sheep, Jesus says, I want to be those who are tending, who's tending the heart. You see, tending the heart is all about taking care. That's what tending means. Today is an invitation for us to understand, like, what is going on in us tending our hearts? See, Jesus is longing to work with us in the tending of our hearts. Of seeking to say, right, at the core of my being, how am I seeking to take care of that, of who I am? Like, am I living in the good of the life that Jesus has for me? As he promises to give us a life that is rich and satisfying. Are we allowing that one, that shepherd, to cause his goodness to be the thing that is seeking to tend the very core of who we are? of giving him more and more permission of saying, yep, I surrender more of who I am in order that I can live in this rich and satisfying life that you have for me. Are we seeking to tend that way? Do you, do you hear the difference? It is subtle, isn't it? It isn't that I'm trying to keep working at doing something. No, I'm giving permission to Jesus, my good shepherd, to come and work within me. But Jesus also warns us. He says, oh yeah, but there's... Another who comes, like a thief, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's ways in which you can live, and as you're seeking to take care of yourself, actually you can find yourself giving your heart over to things that are not me, that are not Jesus, that as you give yourself to them, as you're allowing them permission to kind of rule and reign, Actually, it does you harm. It causes you to know this life that actually steals things away from you the more you allow it to kind of take control. Not only just steals things away, it actually begins to destroy you. And ultimately, it's seeking to kill you. Now, we haven't got time to look into this. There's one who's continuously seeking behind all of this, that's pointed through Scripture, who's this usurper of who God is and who Jesus revealed as the good shepherd, one who's actually could be labeled the bad shepherd, given lots of different names, but one of the names is the Satan, the one who's seeking to deceive all in order that, that he would cause us to find that we're having everything stolen from us, destroyed, and ultimately to kill us. What we're going to discover through 1 Samuel 16 is these two ways that get revealed in Saul and David of how they tend their hearts and what they give their hearts to actually begins this living example of the wonder of what Jesus says of what it is to know him as the good shepherd and what happens when he is absent. 
What happens when we seek to allow other things to reign within our hearts? And as we do it, I don't want us to do it in an exercise of thinking, interesting story. Oh, that's what Saul was like. Oh, that's what David's like. No, no, I want us to hear it in a way of a saying, how am I tending my heart at the moment? And in my tending my heart, it becomes this uncomfortable question of like, what am I giving space to at the moment? Am I giving space to the good shepherd who's seeking to do me good, to provide this rich and satisfying life, or am I giving space in the core of my being to something other than him? But actually, in this moment, I start to feel uncomfortable because I realize that actually it's causing me pain. This thing that I'm giving more and more space to is actually beginning to destroy, beginning to steal, beginning to kill. So let's jump in then. Saul. Verse 16, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. You see, if you were around last week in this series, we kind of kicked off by looking at um, how the people of God had come to Samuel, who was their leader, and said, Hey, we don't want you to be our leader, and we don't want God ultimately to be our leader. We want a king. A king that means that we could be like all the other nations. And in that moment, it was a rejection ultimately of who God was. And God, though, sees a way still of figuring his purposes out through their request. And so gives them what they wanted, a king. But in giving them what they wanted, he's going to reveal what they need. And in giving them a king for what they need, it's going to ultimately point to who Jesus is when he comes on earth to reveal the king that we've always needed one who is our good shepherd. But first of all, there's this king that's given us the king they wanted, and he looks good, and it's a guy called Saul. And God brings him out, and Saul, we're told, is head and shoulders above everyone else. In other words, he's way taller than everyone else. You can see him from afar. He looks the business. Not only that, he's really good looking. We're not told how good looking, just told that he is really good looking. So he's tall, he's really good looking, and he's wealthy, and he comes from a family of status. And in it, it seems to be, yep, that's the kind of person we think should be king. And to start off with, it feels like he's a good king. He immediately leads God's people into this big victory. It's like, yep, I'm the king. I've what you wanted, and I've delivered. And then quickly... Literally, you can read the pace of the story. It goes from those dizzying heights to this crumbling reality of who this king truly is. And what we're going to do isn't kind of look and like look through and say, okay, where's the failing here? Let's do an evaluation. No, no, the invitation, according to 1 Samuel 16, is no, no, remember, it's not about the outward, it's about the inward. Look at what's going on in terms of Saul and his heart. He looks the business on the outside, but what we discover is there's something very different going on in the inside, in the very heart, in the very core of his being. You see, Saul was one who'd been chosen by God, but kind of didn't see that as something that was going to shape him. 
Rather, we find that where he continuously seeks to give space in the very inner being of his life, in the very core of his being, in his very heart, was to fear. And rather than tending his heart in order to understand more of how God saw him, he tends his heart to actually lean more and more into allowing fear to govern him. You actually see it at the very beginning of Saul's story where he's kind of being appointed as the one who will become king. And there's this moment in this comedy moment in the story where it's like, yep, Saul's going to be the one. It's like this picking of... um, Straws, a weird custom at that point to work out like the will of God, and it kind of keeps going down, tribe, family. Then it's like person, Saul. And everyone's like, Saul, where is he? Where's Saul? And then it says, oh, he was hiding in the baggage. And at that point, you might think, this guy was head and shoulders above everyone else, and he's hiding in the baggage. Like, how small do you have to make yourself when you're really tall to be hiding in the baggage that no one can find you? And then it says they find him, pull him out, and then he stands up and he's head and shoulders above everyone else. And then you find this next moment where he's like told by Samuel to wait. And then we discover that in the waiting... Saul gets really fearful. Because what he's finding is the army that are with him are not waiting with him, are starting to peel off, are starting to lose hope. And so suddenly in that moment, as Saul's kind of waiting, he thinks, right, okay, I've got to do something here. I know I've been told to wait, but I think I've got to take control. And out of fear of seeing the army starting to leave, he takes control and steps into disobedience. And then there's this final moment in Saul's kind of revealing of what's going on in his inner being, where he's told to act and to act conclusively. And Saul doesn't. He kind of does a a 50-50 split, does some of it, but then doesn't do all of it. And the reason he gives that he didn't do all of it is he says, well, I was fearful of the people. It's the only reason. I was fearful of the people. You see, for Saul, we discover that on the outside, he looked the business. But on the inside, what he was tending was a heart that was increasingly leaning cultivated and being controlled by fear. And what you find in the life of Saul is it becomes a life that's then a life of distress, a life of despair, a life of disobedience, and ultimately we're discovering Saul's story is a life that ends up in death. Do you remember Jesus' lens that I said I want us to look at this? Jesus says, like, the thief comes to steal, to destroy, and to kill. It's like Saul becomes this warning of saying, hey, watch how you're tending your heart. Watch what you're cultivating, not to condemn you, but rather because it leads to a place that isn't Jesus' best for you. See, the reality is, I know what that feels like. 
I know what it's like to actually live as someone who is following Jesus, saying, yep, Jesus, I know that your life, death, and resurrection is enough for me, but, but I'm really fearful about what people might think of me. I'm fearful of sometimes the actions I take, of are they going to be good enough? I'm fearful of if people truly knew me, then what? And for years, I lived cultivating a heart, tending a heart that was increasingly governed by fear. And that fear as it began to govern more and more of me is what I found as it, it stole more and more of my life away. It began to destroy and cause me to despair in terms of any sense of hope or expectation there can be freedom, and would often take me to illogical conclusions that caused me to just feel utterly paralyzed and as though there was no way out. So you don't come kind of talking as though this is some intellectual exercise or, hey, I've got this sorted, but rather as one who says, yep, yeah, I know what it's like to tend my heart I know that I've got a good shepherd, and yet what I've chosen to do is say, yep, I'm going to allow this thing to ultimately be the thing that controls and tends me. And what it did is it just left me in this place of hopelessness and despair. But it's not the end of the story. And why I want to throw that in is because for some of us, as we're hearing this, we're thinking, man, this is what it feels like. And I don't know how it feels like for you, but I know something of what it felt like for me. And it's why I want us to look at David. Because in David, we see a slightly different example. Verses 10 to 12, it says, There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's but out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. And the Lord said, This is the one, anoint him. See, we're in a series on David, and this is the first time we're introduced to him. And I think what's interesting is what's being made clear is, firstly, it's not about the outward. There's this like comedy exchange of Samuel kind of connecting with who David is. You see, Samuel was in this moment where King Saul was still in power, and yet Samuel had been told, right, yep, King Saul is no longer going to be king, you now need to appoint the person who is king in waiting. Saul is utterly petrified about this. And so God gives him a covert way of kind of going about it. And so he goes in and uh, seeks to invite David's dad with David's dad. He says to David's dad, bring all your sons. I'm going to make a sacrifice. And so they go and do that. And Samuel's doing it in order that he can like get in, do what God said and get out. And with that moment, you find that Samuel comes across the firstborn. And Samuel looks at him and thinks, man, this guy's really tall. It's got to be him. And God says, no, no, it's not him. It's not about height. It's not about stature. It's not about worldly expectation. It's about heart. And then what you find is, it doesn't then go, and then there's David. No, no, it then goes through all the other brothers. And it's like we're meant to picture it as though it's in this kind of a lowering of order of height. 
So you kind of get down, and then you get down to the, the one that's here at the end, and he goes, and, and is it him? Oh, no, it's not him. Oh, what are we going to do here? You got any other sons? Oh, man, yeah, I've got this other son, but he's like really tiny. In actual fact, he's out there tending sheep and goats. He's shepherding. Oh, go and get him. Go and get him. And for the readers that were hearing this, or the people who were having this story told, there was meant to be this thing of, oh yeah, it's not the outward, the scale downwards. We've got the youngest, the smallest, the weakest, surely. It's not about the outward, it's about the inward. And then there's this highlight moment. Like the light, spotlight comes on and says, oh yeah, what's he up to? Oh, he's shepherding. Oh, he's a shepherd. He's one who's tending some livestock. There's something about that. There's something about this individual's heart. Yeah, yeah, he's the smallest. Yes, you'd be discounting him on every level. And yet God says, no, there's something about his heart. Because he's a shepherd. See, he's one who has a shepherd's heart or the heart of a shepherd. And in that heart of a shepherd, we discover he's one that understands what it is to care for something. He's one that at the end of his life, in 2 Samuel 7, 8, God will actually speak to him and say, look, I took you as one who was seeking to tend sheep to be one who then tended my people and took care of them. You're the shepherd king. And at this point, we could hear it and go, yeah, yeah. Oh, so obviously, David, man, he would just had this leaning, understanding of shepherding. Therefore, that's why his heart was so good. Yep, let's all become shepherds. And then we'll kind of get this thing sorted. No, no, he had the heart of a shepherd because David encountered the shepherd's heart. You see, there's this moment where Saul finds out from God, yep, I I can't use you anymore as king. And I found someone else. And it says that God says, "I, I found a man after my own heart. Now, what that actually means, because we could hear that and think, all right, so yeah, David obviously had this way of living that was for God. And that's not what it's actually about. In that moment, what's actually being conveyed there is that God's heart is for David. It's God announcing over David, you're mine. And for David, it seems as though, and as you read through the story and read through his songs he wrote, that he got to this point of understanding, yep, I understand shepherding. But I understand the God whose heart is of a shepherd. He understood that how God saw him was that he was God's. And as such, it then caused him to seek to live, cultivating and tending his heart, the very core of his being, in the knowledge of how God saw him. So much so that when he begins a song that gets recorded and then gets this moment where, like, it's everyone's favorite song when you read the Bible, where he reveals the wonder of who God is. Psalm 23. And he says what? Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. Like when 
David looked at what it had been like to shepherd. It caused him to catch hold of God's heart as the shepherd. And for David, it then caused him to realize, oh, this is one I want to give space to in my life in order that he would shepherd me through all that I go through, through the moments of fear, for the moments where I'm desiring rest, for the moments where I need restoration, for the moments where I feel like my enemies are pressing in, where the moments where it feels like death is very close. In all of these moments, I want to keep leaning in and giving you space, God, to be my shepherd, to be the one who's tending my heart. Now in it, we're going to discover that David still makes mistakes, pretty big ones. But within it, there's something he caught hold of that caused him to understand that he, that God was his shepherd and the heart of God as our shepherd. Again, to look at that lens that Jesus puts on, I'm saying, yep, good shepherd, he brings a rich and satisfying life. That for David, he took it and said, yep, I want that. I want that rich and satisfying life. Now, at this point, we could think, right, okay, so what we need to do then is work hard then at being like David. So you talked about it, Adrian. You said you, you knew what it was like to be a bit like Saul, where you lived kind of governed by fear. So then surely then the liberation is, yep, let's be like David. Nope. Nope. The liberation is receiving the invitation of the shepherd's heart. That's where the liberation is found. We're invited to know more of the beauty that David knew of Jesus' shepherding heart. The shepherding heart that longs to liberate you and I by Jesus' selfless love. See, Jesus, our good shepherd, lays down his life in order that we can know a rich and satisfying life. You see, what was my path to freedom from fear, from that thief, well, it was coming and realizing that this Jesus who lived and died and rose again and had become the center of my being was the one that I needed to give more and more access to the very core of my being. To say, Jesus, my good shepherd, would you come and would you reign more in my life within every circumstance? Because I put my trust in you and not in this. And over time, what happened is I began to realize that Jesus truly does come to bring a rich and satisfying life and expose the lies that had come and sought to steal, to destroy and kill. Therefore, I want us to finish off with tending our hearts. It's an invitation today just to take care of our hearts and to allow Jesus more access. And I think where that starts is by us just reviewing. I'm just being honest and saying, like, where's my heart at? What am I giving space to? Like, am I seeking to say, yep, Jesus, you're at the center and Jesus, I'm looking to allow you to have more and more rule and reign in my being. 
Or are we actually finding that, yep, I think there is Jesus there, but actually, if I'm honest, I'm allowing this thing, this situation, this way of living to actually be the thing that's increasingly ruling and reigning in my life. See, having renewed, my guess is for many of us, we think, yep, there's that thing. I don't know, maybe it's that stone. Do you remember that in worship of like, oh yeah, the, the kind of moment that says shame or rejection or despair or fear. I don't know what it is that's on there for you. There's this stuff that we're just giving more time to be cultivating who we are. And Jesus is like, nope, you don't need to allow that to be there. And what we have to do is repent and say, Jesus, I don't want to allow this stuff any more space in my heart. I'd rather say I turn to you, Jesus. I want you to be my good shepherd. I want you to be the one that's tending my heart. And then after repenting, then I think we just simply receive. We receive the wonder that Jesus comes by his spirit to cause us to know that he is more committed than you and I to tending our hearts and therefore our whole lives. I think what's interesting is David gets anointed. And in that anointing of oil, it's like, yep, God's saying, yep, mine, and set aside for purpose. I believe today the same is true, that Jesus wants us to know we're his and we're set apart for a life that is full of his richness that is deeply satisfying. I want us just to pray, if that's okay. I was meant to do a song. I'm just recognizing we're time pushed slightly at this point in time. And um, I just want to make sure kids get looked after. But I just wonder if I could ask us to stand if we're able, and I'm going to pray for us. There's no emotional hype. That's all I want us to know. There is no condemnation. I really want us to know that. Rather, I introduce you to Jesus, the most loving, good shepherd that you could ever dare to believe for. And that this good shepherd is longing to meet with you. Just as I know he's just ministering to me. I just want to give us a moment Is there stuff that we just know we've been just giving airtime to in our hearts? And if we're honest, we just know, yep, it's been stealing more of my life away. It's actually destroying me. If I'm honest, it's killing me. And if that's you, I just want you to say, just. Like I'm putting my hands out because there's stuff in my heart. And I'm just like, God, here it is, man. Here it is. And just where you are, just say, Jesus, this is it. This is where my heart's at at the moment. I just realize this isn't what you've got for me. And just in it, Jesus, you just come and say, Jesus, this stuff that I've been allowing to have space in my life, I just repent of it. I just say, I don't want to allow this 
anymore to be the thing that's governing. I choose you, Jesus. I choose you. Just where we are, just where we've said that prayer. If you've said that prayer, I just want you to put your hands on your heart just as a figurative way of saying, Jesus, I'm giving you full access. Jesus, where we're saying we just choose you, I pray now where we're surrendering. I pray, Jesus, would you come now by your spirit and would you cause us to know you never need a second invitation. You're all in. I pray, Jesus, would you come now by your spirit and would you cause us to know something more of the liberation, the good life, the rich and satisfying life that you have for us. I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come now and meet with us? Jesus, I pray where things have just been so deeply ingrained into who we are. I pray, Jesus, would you begin to just pull out roots and cause us to know that actually you're enough. You understand. You're going to gently lead us into increasing freedom. Ask this for your glory, Jesus. 